Hey guys, welcome to a very special episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, this week, uh, Jeremy is on vacation in Hawaii and is unable to connect with the uh, internet he has at his hotel. So it's just going to be Ed and I duoing it. Uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com, for providing $25 gift certificates for us to give away. Uh, with free shipping and orders of $100 or more, you can find Cool Stuff Inc. for all your Magic the Gathering and board game and other game needs. How are you doing today, Ed? I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I literally just got back from Japan like six hours ago at this point. So... And uh, I had a pretty long ride getting back, so I'm, I'm I'm pretty beat, needless to say. And I'm only here for a few days before I leave for Los Angeles on Friday. Well, at least that's not that far away. You're in Portland right now, right? Yes. All right. So, uh, is there anything about on the, at the Grand Prix that you noticed that uh, there was a Grand Prix in, in Japan? Right. I'm not like making this up. Uh, there was a Grand Prix in Japan two weeks ago. Uh, this past weekend, it was actually a double header. I believe Jeremy was here in Portland um, for the GP here, and I was actually in Liverpool. Oh, okay. So what, what was going on over there? Did you see anything interesting with, like, the UMA prices of in Europe versus uh, the North America? Uh, the most important thing that I've noticed, and generally the trend uh, excuse me, for master sets, especially in the past, is that prices tend to be a little bit higher and part of that is just due to product costing more in Europe especially in the UK prox uh, boxes do cost a fairly substantial premium uh, for the stores that are actually inside the UK box you're looking at like uh, your consumer is probably spending about like close to like close if not more than $300 a box which compared to um, us like $300 is Far, far more than like what anyone would realistically pay. I uh, imagine like your average consumer in the U.S. probably spends two hundred forty to fifty, sixty to sixty, maybe. At the, I, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm, I haven't really followed um, what prices are at, mainly because I just wasn't buying them here. But um, that does kind of have a trickle down effect because if people are spending more in boxes. People naturally want more in their cards. Um, box toppers definitely cost more. More there uh, again, mainly because boxes cost more. People expect more for their box toppers, and you have some box toppers that are just naturally more expensive in Europe, anyways. And that's just kind of due to like the arbitrage that's always existed. That's interesting. Um, how does how does the overseas effect happen for like? Things like promos that are not available there, like do SDC, SDCC things and uh, the Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition, were those like considerably more expensive overseas? Uh, SDCC, yes, mainly because that's you know like very clearly like a U.S. product, right? It's just it's just not available overseas unless you physically had someone that came over here, bought them, and then brought them back. Um, Right, because like even when it was available on the um, like the Hasbro web store, ship, like having them ship it overseas just wasn't an option. Uh, Mythic editions slightly less rare, mainly because you had uh, you've kind of had multiple events since they've been introduced where they were available in Europe. I think it started out with like Leo back in uh, October, 
Warsaw was last month. I want to say, like, obviously there was Liverpool this past weekend. I want to say there was another one, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But, like, Mythic, like, Edition is, like, is available out there. Um, obviously, like, it's a little bit hard to get because, you know, similar to uh, the San Diego Comic-Con, it was available on the web store, but they wouldn't, uh, it, it wasn't available to be shipped overseas. So it is a little bit more rare, but, like, it's definitely still out there on the marketplace if people wanted to pick up. Okay, well, that's those are always interesting insights because uh, myself personally, I don't do a lot of traveling to events. So I don't really have a, a firm grasp of like what kind of arbitrage there is overseas. And like, since you go all the time, I figured this is a good good opportunity to pick your brain about that kind of stuff. But I'm sure a lot of people are interested in uh, UMA things. So it's now been this is the second week it's been released, right? Am I no? No, it was released on Friday. This is still the first week. Or yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, it's the second calendar week that it's been released, right? Y yes, yes, yes. Um, so I noticed that over the weekend, uh, a lot of staples got really low on TCG Player, like on Saturday, and unfortunately, I did not pull the trigger and buy most of them. But there's still like a pretty large discrepancy in the price of the box toppers. Uh, just personally, I've noticed that like. TCG market price is not like a particularly helpful um, indicator of like how much cards actually cost, but it's very rare that there's usually such a large gap between what the market price is for a card and what the like lowest available price for a card is. And it seems to me like not a lot of them are actually selling at the prices that they're at. And even some of them, like I think Gaddick Teague just like continues to go down. And I'm just wondering if you were seeing a similar thing at the Grand Prix. Was there like a, a rush to get rid of them? Were people more interested in holding them? Which ones were selling better? Like what what vendors were actually interested in, in picking them up? Uh, so two parts of that question. So first I'll address the market thing. Like I'm not completely sure how TCG Player actually calculates like the market value. Like I know it says like if you look on, if you click on the help button, it says like, the last sell price or whatever, but I've definitely like seen cards that like the market price just makes no sense. Like obviously like in the scenario that you described, the market price is much lower than the actual listing price. Like th th that's a relatively obvious one, right? Like it's usually like symptomatic of like a buyout, low supply or something where people aren't actually paying the inflated price. But there are times when I've seen the opposite. So I just want to stop you for a second. There are cards that are like that where the market price is lower than the uh, the lowest available. But like Gaddick Teague is actually the opposite. The market price is $52, but the lowest available is $42, which leads me to believe that people keep listing them and nobody's buying them. Right. So like that's definitely bizarre, but I've definitely seen cards sell. And either like the API, like it's not like updating correctly, and like the like the information that's being presented is not the same as what I'm seeing. Because if you go if you go in on the back end um, for people who list cards manual on TCG Player without the use of Crystal Commerce or something, if you actually try and go in on the back end, you can actually see that the number of the last sold price is actually different than what shows up on market at times. Um, so like. I'm like a little wary of using market as an indicator for things. It's obviously great for things that like there's a ton of supply on, but like a lot of these oddities, like I am a little wary to use market as like as a data point. Um, 
but re regardless, uh, to kind of address like the box toppers as a whole, um, I don't know if uh, if it was actually the case in Liverpool. I mainly because I wasn't really like paying attention to that part of it. But I know in uh, GP Portland, the box toppers were actually on the prize wall, um, so people could actually go exchange three hundred prize tickets, which is like the equivalent of like thirty booster packs basically, um, to get a prize topper. Mm -hmm. And from what I heard from a lot of my vendor friends who were here uh, at the event in Portland, they said that basically a lot of people were just going around like by late Saturday or Sunday or whatever um, with like the big prize ticket events, the big payouts or whatever. And people, they were just going around the vendors trying to shop their box toppers. Right. I basically just, you know, hoping they, they crack something expensive and just turn it over for cash right away. Um, to me, that suggests that there's going, there's a lot of it just kind of hitting the market um, I don't know if that's going to continue in the future. I would assume that for like GP Vancouver and GP Prague, because there's um, so much emphasis on Ultimate Masters, because the main event is Ultimate Masters, that might still be the case. But I don't imagine like for GP Oakland or any of the ones falling afterwards that they'll continue to put these uh, box toppers on the prize wall. So, like I think right now it is the initial rush. I. Uh, I, I remember talking with like some other people kind of towards the beginning of the weekend where your average consumer, if they're just buying like one or two boxes and they don't open like the exact box topper they want, which is very realistic, right? Like if you're a commander player, you probably have like six box toppers you want to open, right? If you're playing modern or something, you have like, you know, kind of like 10 or something that you want to open less if you have a specific set of decks, but I imagine most people would just look at the box topper as a way to reduce the cost of the box rather than actually trying to gain value from the box topper itself. And I imagine as a result, you just have a lot of people that, again, if they did, if they were one of the lucky ones to open one of the ones they needed, that's great for them. If not, they're probably just trying to immediately sell back to recuperate like anywhere from you know thirty dollars to like a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars towards their box costs. Right. No, I agree. Um... Is there is there any in, like insight you have into like which ones you think have been selling more like which ones are more popular? Uh, is it just like you can just look at the price and it should tell you, or is there like more behind that? Like, are there some that are higher demand but like haven't really crept up very much? Um, it doesn't feel quite as clear cut to me like why certain ones are the way they are. Um, like, I I, th I think kind of like the like the glowing anomaly here is eternal witness um it sees like somewhat fringe modern play you kind of see it in like collected company decks um but like the large driving force of eternal witness is it's like the like third best green card in edh or something um right like it's like that's a big factor in the price and even though it's like been printed like to the ground multiple times right there's i think like four or five actual printings of this of eternal witness itself it's been you can get the obviously the normal set foils in uh, master modern the original modern masters and fifth dawn. You have the F and M promo uh, that has different art. You now have uh, ultimate masters which has a different art, and then you have the box topper itself as well. Um, but yeah, like that like that box topper is I want to say it's like sixty dollars or something. Um, so like like that one like doesn't doesn't quite add up. Like to me, it's like I understand more why you know like Lilian or Tarmogoyf would be expensive, but like there's a few odd ones that like just don't quite make sense. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised by the bitter blossom. Like, I don't think that fairies are particularly popular in modern, but they might be like popular among like a small subset of people. Is is how I'm feeling about it because that one's also like seventy five dollars, and that didn't strike me as a kind of card that would be nearly that expensive. Uh, which card again? Sorry, bitter blossom. Oh, okay, yep, yeah, that one's also kind of odd. It's like there's a judge that, promo. There's a judge. Yeah, there's the judge promo with different art. There's the masters. There's the masters one, and then there's the regular Shadowmore. I guess is where it's from. I don't know what originally. Morning, Morning tide. Morning tide. Okay, but yeah, like there's already a bunch of different foils of it. I'm surprised that this one is so expensive. Yeah, like again, same thing. Like it's interesting, right? Because like, I I guess part of it is because all the box toppers technically have the same rarity as it were it seems to somewhat be connected on the demo i imagine like part of it is like the demographic of player that would be interested in foiling out their deck mm. um right like cavern of souls for example is it's it there isn't a huge spread between like the set foils from uh uh master 17 avr and now uma and the box harp itself like it, you would think there to be a good, bigger gap but there isn't um and I met like and Cavern Souls is kind of I don't really know how to describe that card. Like it's kind of an EDH card. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's an EDH card if you can afford it. It's it's a luxury item. Like it's just like a metal worker or like previously like a a Gaia's Cradle or um, like Phyrexian or Phyrexian Tower and Phyrexian Altar before now. So it's definitely more of a like a luxury card in Commander, but people do definitely definitely play it. Yes. Yeah. So again, but, like I, sorry, go so, ahead, fish. Well, I was just gonna say, like to to like bring that one home. That one's so expensive because it's a it's a land. It makes any color of mana. It goes in any deck, and like it's it's a ton of play in modern and legacy. So that one doesn't really surprise me. It's just like bitter blossoms, not the one that you see very often. Like you're not just like, oh yeah, this is like a, the crux of my deck. Like I need to have bitter blossoms for my deck to function. Whereas if you're playing like the humans deck in modern, you don't have. Uh, Cavern of Souls, like, I don't know how you're supposed to cast your spells. But part of that is, like, most people probably aren't looking necessarily to be falling out their modern deck. Right? So I think, like, that's why... Whereas, like, Bitter Blossom, you only need one, so maybe, like, you're more inclined to be spending like, on a Bitter Blossom, right? It's like a sideboard card or whatever. You'd be more inclined to spend money on it if you just need one, whereas trying to buy, like, four box topper foils is a fairly hefty investment. Unless you already own like the entire deck in foil or whatever, so. Mm. But again, you have like some fairly like, uh, popular commander ones like you know cause like Ulamog Micaeus, right? Like those are all three cards that are like very very heavily paid, played in EDH, but not terribly expensive. Like kind of like kind of in relation to like where all of them are, they're fairly like middling ones, right? I think like cause they're between like, like forty and sixty dollars. Right, like not like which is far cheaper than what the actual set foil prior to prior to Yome was. Right, right. right. No, I definitely agree. Like I even purchased an, a cause like an Ulamog foil because or the box topper promo because like it was cheaper than regular like non foil Kozilek's and Ulamogs were not that long ago. Like even just before they got reprinted in uh, Masters twenty fifteen, and even even like pretty recently they were getting pretty expensive. They were like thirty or forty dollars each. So, yeah, like I think, like 
as a whole, like we like we probably won't be moving on to the next topic. I think we've kind of touched on a decent amount. Like box offers are definitely kind of like a little bit different here. It's definitely not something we've seen before. It's definitely definitely kind of like is a throwback, I guess. Uh, except Wizards hasn't done before, but it's like kind of a throwback to like sports cards, where they usually have like these unique type items in sports cards. For anyone who does deal sports cards, there's like infinite rarities for sports cards. You have like some exceedingly rare items that you can only get as a box topper. Um, and that kind of like throws a wrench on like the whole EV calculation. Um, I imagine we'll have to kind of see it play out, mainly because box toppers, I think, are rapidly approaching their high supply at this point, whereas um, normal UMA cards haven't yet. Uh, and part and part of that is due to kind of like what Channel Fireball is doing, um, because they're forced because they're forced to like run drafts or like running like a sealed PTQ or something. They're opening a bunch of product and they just have these loose box toppers. Um, same with stores. If they're wanted, they're like they're wanting to open boxes for loose packs. They're basically keeping the box toppers for themselves, right? Which is totally their right, right? Because they, there's no reason like they, it's kind of hard for them to sell individually sealed because people know they can be searched. Um, like people aren't really looking to buy them sealed people want to buy the singles and right now like if like you either have sealed boxes which people will want to buy sealed boxes because they want the box topper inside in addition to a sealed product or you have basically all the box toppers are already being opened or on the market right now so i imagine like these will slowly start to trend up kind of once the initial um like what the hits a market kind of get sold off or whatever especially like you know come new year or something when they when like tcg player does their kickback people will probably be kind of buying in mass and then i imagine like these will start to get pretty rare pretty fast um so i think like buying right now is probably like kind of peak supply um whereas like if you're looking to get like the cheapest possible copy like you like need a play set of like like life from loans or something, you can probably afford to wait a little bit longer because people are going to continue to open this product, um, you know, over like probably through Christmas, probably through New Year, et cetera. Do you feel the same way about like the staple cards like Liliana, Karn, uh, Snapcaster Rage, Cavern of Souls, like Noble Hierarch? Do you think those five are things that are continuing to drop or do you think that players have decided that there's time to start rebuying? I think people have probably kind of like started wising up. Um, I was actually pretty surprised to see like some of the cards like kind of creep up already. And I imagine like kind of mentally people have, at least like the people who like have been waiting, they've kind of like understood how the market is like operating and they're cognizant like, you know, uh, like Noble Hierarch, right? Like prior to all this, um, prior to UMA being dropped, like Noble Hierarch was like $65 to $68. And I think mentally, like the smart the smarter people the smarter players are thinking like, hey, if Noble Hierarch drops down to 40, I should pull the trigger, right? Like $40 is what like Bylas was a month ago. And like if if you're saving like 35%, like you should probably be happy with that. I think like the people who are getting punished are the people who are expecting it to drop to like $30 or something, right? Like, that that's too much of a drop for a card that, like, is arguably one of the best creatures in Modern, right? It's, like, definitely the best Mandork ever, right? It's played as a zero or four of, right? People who need it need four. It's not really, like, the type of card you want to be, like, trimming copies on. So, 
like it doesn't surprise me that those have started gone up like to go up again but it, it is kind of surprising that it's gone up as quickly as it has like it definitely bottomed out kind of like friday and then like it just it felt like it started to creep up either people like weren't willing to sell it that cheap or like that all the cheap copies from vendors who are cracking the boxes just kind of like sold right away okay that's kind of the same opinion that i have on on that subject uh ed did you want to take a look at some of the questions we have on our uh coolstuffinc.com page because i know that you mentioned there were a lot of questions that you were very interested in answering yeah yeah there's definitely like a lot of like questions which is good like people are definitely posting a lot of stuff um if you ask a question regarding uma uh, I probably don't really want to touch on it mainly because we could just probably like honestly do a whole episode on UMA. Um, I imagine it's like it'll probably be something that we will continue to visit like sporadically, um, mainly because it's kind of the master sets always throw the mark in a wrench. So we'll I, like if you have an answer on UMA right now and we don't answer it, like we'll at some point come back to it or like touch on like especially if you're trying to ask like about a specific card. Um, like there's like some general advice we could give, but like at at the, I wanted to answer more questions and talk about more than just UMA. Um, I'm going to kind of skip over those for now. Um, as for a credit winner, uh, Jim, do you just want to pick a credit winner question or do we kind of want to start firing off uh, questions before we get to our credit winner? Well, since I'm Jeremy today, you get to be me today. I mean, geez, you get to choose the person that wins the store credit. Okay. Um, I will... Uh, I guess this is the one that will win, and then we'll answer a few more questions before we wrap up the episode. Today. Okay, so who's our winner this week? Uh, Atari Jones Okay, uh, is the winner. The question is, with a ban restricted update coming next month, I am once again wondering if there is any financial viable financial strategy that you could suggest involving such announcements. Is it a fool's errand to invest in cards that might someday be unbanned? Is it advised to purchase cards like Birthing Pod when their price tanks soon after banning? Have you had financial success related to ban and restrict announcements in the past? Thanks for the great and entertaining cast. Uh, this is a good question. I think it's one of those things that's like kind of constantly in people's mind now, especially because we seem to have more substantial shakeups with the ban and restricted list as it were um to kind of break this down uh, uh so since there's kind of like three like separate questions in this um, i'll just kind of touch on them individually even though they are all linked together the first part is it a fool's error to invest in cards that might someday be unbanned i don't think so i think your opportunity cost is relatively low um i had friends that have just like prior to blood braid Bra elf being unbanned you know like it was a three dollar card for the longest time um you just offer people dollars on them and you basically be getting them for a very long time um and like obviously he was like well well rewarded when it was unbanned like they popped up in price um so it's definitely not fool's errand it just kind of depends on where you want to be obviously there's like some risks um like the risk that you take is that one your card might never be unbanned and two um it, it's one of those things where you're tying up a lot of your capital if you have like a bunch of cards you can afford to do this then it's great but like the last thing you want to do is go out and spend like you know like five hundred dollars or like a thousand dollars on 
all copies of <clears throat> Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic is kind of the the one that kind of goes through like a constant like boom bust cycle where it kind of just gets hyped up prior leading to announcement. Everyone seems to think that okay, this is gonna be it. And at some point it is going to be like it is going to be it. I do feel that it will get unbanned at some point, but I think we're a little away from like a little ways away from that. I think modern has a kind of beheaded in a different direction, uh, both philosophically and kind of like practically before that does happen. But uh, there are definitely people who def- who like have capitalized on the cycle. People just know that everyone starts to want to buy it beforehand, so people start to sell them at, and play a price, and then. Like literally the day after announcement, you can just kind of see a steep drop off where people start looking at selling their Stoneforge Mystics. Um, so, like I like if you want to invest, like just kind of do so wisely. Just kind of take it with a grain of salt that you theoretically could just never be rewarded for, and you ha- and that's something you have to be okay with. Um, second part of the question: Is it advised to purchase cards like Birthing Pod when their price tanks soon after a banning? Um, Yes and no. I think Birthing Pod is one of those cards that will unlikely ever be unbanned in Modern again, but it is like it's not like the worst casual card. It only has one printing of it, so the price is probably going to continue to creep up due to rarity. I think it's like pushing $8 now, if I remember correctly. Um, they're like reasonably hard to find. You don't really have people that go up and say, oh, I want to sell my Birthing Pod deck. One, because I'd be somewhat impressed with people still have a Birthing Pod uh, Birthing pod deck at this point. Um, but like, you know, once those cards like sell out to people who, you know, put them in cubes, commander, uh, commander decks, etc., they don't really show up back on the market. Um, birthing pod is kind of an odd one uh, because of that result. But I imagine something like, like Golgari Grave Troll, like that's the type of card that will probably just never recover in price, even if it does get unbanned in modern, which is probably highly unlikely at this point because that's. I want to say that's one of the few cards that's been unbanned at one point in modern and got rebanned. I don't actually know if there's another card that where that. I was believe that is the only card that has been unbanned and then rebanned because uh, it was okay without the shadows over Innistrad stuff, but once they printed Prize Amalgam and now uh, Purpling Chill, I think that Golgari Grief Troll is going to live on that ban list forever. Like I don't think there's any like there's definitely so I think that part of the 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 thought experiment here is like figuring out which cards are the cards that are most likely to come off the ban list. Golgari Grave Troll, like, if, if 10 is most likely and 0 is least likely, like, Golgari Grave Troll's like a 1. Like, it's not impossible, but it doesn't feel like it's ever going to... Like, there's never going to be a good reason to get off, unless it becomes, like, a super weird rotating format where they just ban and unban things every 6 months because they feel like it. But I don't feel like that's ever going to happen. But I think that there's definitely things like Stoneforge Mystic, like... Green Sun Zenith, I think, is like a pretty reasonable thing to come off the ban list. Um, and maybe even Splinter Twin at some point in time, but like I don't feel like like there's just a couple like the artifact lands are dead forever. Blazing Shoal is never gonna get on ban, Chromax is never gonna get on ban, Cloud Post probably will never get on ban. Dark Depths, Deathrite Shaman, Dig Through Time, Dread Return, Ivugan, Gataxian Probe, like all these things that let you cheat on mana, Hypergenesis, Mental Misstep, none of those things I think are ever going to come off. Um, like the rituals that they've banned are probably just going to stay banned. There's like no good reason to take them off. Punishing Fire is just too good against creature decks. Like that one's probably in like the five category in my mind, but like 
Umazawa's GTA is probably never coming off. Treasure Cruise is probably never coming off. Like things that let you cheat on mana. Summer Bloom is dead forever. Sensei's Divining Top is banned in Legacy. So like I don't know why they would ever want to unban it in Modern unless they want to like make everyone quit. Like there's just like there's some opportunity cost in what you buy, but then they're like if you don't buy any like if you buy cards that just have zero chance of ever getting unbanned, there's like you're just waste you're just like incinerating money for no reason. Yep, yep. I like it's definitely one of those things like you can like think long and hard, but I th it's one thing to say like I want to see Stoneforge unbanned in modern. It's another thing to think if practically Wizards wants Stoneforge Mystic to be unbanned in modern. Which again, I think like there will be a time where that is the case. It's just I just don't think it's like right now in the immediate future. It's um, you know what it is. It's going to be when they do another master set where Stoneforge Mystic and Batter Skull are in it. Like, that's just what they're going to do. That's what they did with Jace, right? Like, they preempted the unbanning with another supply wave to get people excited for the card. Yes, I, I definitely think that's a very reasonable thing, right? Because, like, at this point, if Stoneforge Mystic were to get unbanned, like, that card would just be so expensive, right? It's Yeah, it would just be like Jace. Even though it's not very good, people think it's good, or they, they have memories of it being good, and it'll just be expensive just on that alone. Yep. I mean, it's a card that like very rarely gets played in Commander, and almost as rarely gets played in Legacy, and it's still twenty dollars. Like, not that many people play with it. And it's still quite expensive, even having uh, an entire year's worth of GP promos. Right? I think yep. that was one of the ones that didn't split. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely a, a good question to ask yourself. But I think that it's important to to take that time to to reflect on the card that you're going to try to buy into and like whether or not it's going to ever get unbanned and 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 weigh that against like the cost of the card like birthing pods are like eight or nine dollars you probably don't want to buy a ton of them when you can buy other things but like if you wanted to spend i don't know how i don't know how much green suns units are but like a similar amount of that like if you can get two or three green suns units instead of one birthing pod in the end, you may end up being better because you'll just have more copies. Um, but thank you. I'm sorry. What, what would you say the person's name was? Uh, Atari Jones. All right. Uh, so when uh, when you hear this cast, uh, please send me an email at cartelaristocrats at gmail.com. And I'll get you your $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. If anyone listening wants to win uh, next time, you can leave a question on our article that'll go up uh, probably Thursday, December 13th. Uh, and leave a question. And if you get chosen, you can win $25 gift certificate to coolstuffinc.com. All right, what's our next question, Ed? Uh, kind of changing the tune of this. Um, even though you aren't a winner, uh, Charlie Hanford. Uh, he asks, do you think, given the recent esports announcement that Wizards would ever move away from Paper Magic being a, ter a legal tournament format, this may provide Wizards an opportunity to break the reserve list without violating its reprint policy, which states all policies described in this document applies only to tournament legal magic cards? Um, I, I think the reserve list is kind of like a, a sub-issue here. I think kind of like the main point that I'm choosing to question is I think we kind of want to like... I, I would like to, to like touch on kind of the esports announcement that was made uh, on December sixth last week, last Friday or something. Um, 
So I think like like a lot of people have kind of talked about it, and um, and like I, I guess I I can just kind of give my own general opinion. Um, I'll, I'll touch on your on the specifics of your question, but I think the concept of esports pushing, uh, being the direction that Wizards wants to push in, I don't think is necessarily pushing Paper Magic away. I think it's one of those things that uh, people have to be cognizant of, right? Like if we think of kind of the market cap for Wizards, um, like the, the access they operate on, right? Like who are the major players? You have like your game stores and you have like kind of casual players. And like game stores, you have people that are bringing, you're, like the game stores are focused on bringing in like competitive players, right? They're trying to feel like the grindier type. They're trying to sell like pro, like fundamentally they're the ones that are trying to sell the pro tour dream, right? Like you start here, you like start winning FNM, right? Like formerly you'd be able to work your way up. You win a PBDQ, right? You're like, you take a trip somewhere. You play in kind of like a, a regional PTQ where you have uh, kind of like the best in their area, like who people who are able to win their own PBTQs playing against each other at a shot for the, like the pro tour where like local game stores kind of fuel that dream, right? They also provide a way for, casual players right people who don't care about like the pro tour people who don't care about competitive magic as a way for they can either come in they can play casually or you know they might be the type of person that you see once every three months you know they show up for the pre-release they pick up their box and then you just don't see them again until the next set drops um right so like regardless of how they operate right like paper magic is relatively close to its market cap right like there's not many places where you can you can't say like it, like as like you know if you're on the board at hasbro you can't say oh let's just open more game stores let's just have people open up more game stores we'll sell more magic like that's not how paper magic is working right realistically there's only so many people you can get into playing magic sure you have kind of a reasonable turnover rates you know like high school students that's kind of like the demographic that wizards wants to target for example right because you're like good players they don't have a ton of disposable income but magic can be a relatively cheap hobby Right, you can play FNM on the cheap. You can play casually for cheap. It's a good place for people to get started, right? And then, in like, if it works out, then you have a player for five, like, three to five years. I like, I imagine that's not an un unrealistic expectation for what Magic player should be, right? But there's only like, there's a very finite cap on those. Whereas if we look some at something like Arena or Magic Online. I imagine that the percentage of players who play in Paper Magic versus play uh, that own Magic online accounts or like own Arena accounts is very very low. You probably have a lot of people that play Paper Magic because they like, you know, the being able to interact with your opponent in person. You like they like to be able to see their opponent across from them. Um, but now, right, like that's a whole new market they're opening up. If they can push Arena. Right, like now you you can open up uh, kind of your game. You can open up the game of Magic Gathering to a whole new audience, right? Because now you can capture people who don't necessarily care about the the like people part of Magic, right? Where and now they see that arena as an esport. They see it as like a computer game. They see it as something that they can do, you know, at home on their own time when they're watching Netflix or something, right? And that is a much more profitable avenue to Hasbro. Because there's many, many, many more people they can capture with relatively low effort. Whereas, again, right, like you can't, like with Paper Magic, you can't just say, oh, if you open up more game stores, we're going to start attracting more Magic players, right? Because you've probably attracted 
as many people that you reasonably can with what Paper Magic is doing. But now, right, like if we start pushing Arena, like what happens, you know, like one of these like, like speculation, right? Like what happens if one of these like mythic championships or whatever is like done via Arena only, right? Like how many people would be watching that, especially if we're looking at like so, like a $1 million prize pool per mythic championship or what, whatever the details were, right? Like obviously this is all speculation, but if esports is head, if Magic and esports are headed in that direction, right? That represents a lot of potential growth for Wizards. Um, like I, I think I'm kind of like getting off on a tangent, but that's like kind of my thought on it. Uh, relating to this question, uh, Charlie's question, um, I don't think that Paper Magic would like. I, I think Paper Magic will always exist. I think the day that like they stop printing new Magic cards is kind of like the day that magic will die. Um, I think like, um, like, like kind of what you're hinting at here, um, the reserve list, like it, it already doesn't exist on magic online. They can freely print. Like, you know, you have like VMA, like vintage masters that exists online as an avenue to freely print power. You have multiple masters editions. Um, where like dual lands kind of like all these, much more narrow like vintage only type cards have existed and if like realistically again if they wanted to push arena right in if there ever was a point when you know cards like they they implement like a full spectrum of cards on arena they could realistically hold a legacy pro tour um because card availability in theory should longer be an issue because they don't have to concern themselves with things like the reserve list Yeah, I, I agree that with the crux of what your statement is like, if they ever stop printing paper magic cards, it's not going to be soon and it's not going to be very quickly. Like, there might be a time where, like, we see that they're favoring arena tournaments over paper tournaments, and then I might start get, getting worried. But at this point, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that they're. I don't think that they have enough of the history of the game in arena yet. Like it's the same thing with why I don't think magic online is going to go anywhere anytime soon. Modern and legacy and vintage don't exist anywhere except for magic online. Like, or I mean on, on the internet that you can't play them on your computer uh, except for magic online. And I don't think that the team working on uh, arena right now is really very excited to go backwards and start adding the sets. And even if they did, it'll take a very long time before they finish. Um, even if they were to double the size of the teams and they added another set every month, like you have, you have to go 15 years backwards to get all of the cards, not necessarily all the cards are necessary, but like to get like even just most of the staples for uh, most of the, the older formats will be very time consuming. So I am not very concerned about that right now. Um, even even if that does happen, though, like I don't think that necessarily Magic is going to... I don't think they're ever going to stop printing paper cards unless the game just doesn't exist at all, ever. And like I'm not even sure that, that at this point in time, I think there are too many people that are too invested that that will probably never happen. And if it does, it'll be because of reasons outside of their control. Uh, you know, if we start like living it like in like a Fallout universe, and we need to pay things with bottle caps, like maybe magic doesn't exist then. But as long as the world exists as we know it today, or for the most part, then I don't think that there's a really large chance that that uh, magic ceases to exist, especially in paper. Like 
we got some through a really couple of bad years of standard and it was still pretty okay as far as like players were concerned they just played a different format which is probably what would happen if it, if it got bad again but um yeah i don't i don't i don't think there's anything to worry about there yeah just to kind of like put in the scope of how difficult it is to put to like to go back and put everything back in magic online just for modern alone if they want to support modern right like modern was first introduced i, I mean modern was introduced in 2012 right which means like it's like it's like six, modern six years old at this point right which is roughly 25 percent of the lifespan of magic as a whole if you're going back to the cards that have existed since modern's printing you're going back to 2003 which is 15 years at this point um i think they actually crossed the threshold i remember seeing it on twitter i, I want to say like mark rosewater someone tweeted that um i it was some time ago i will say it was like at least a year ago or something they had actually passed a threshold where there are more modern legal cards that in existence in, in terms of like what uh cards that exist than uh cards that don't exist I did not word that very well at all. There's more modern cards than non-modern cards, basically. Not yes. in terms of physical what, quantity, but like cards. There are more individual cards that are legal in modern than there are not legal in modern. Yes. And that um, is what you were trying to say. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. And like that is a monumental task to go back and just and and try and like put it all into arena. So I like I think arena has like a very, very big future. I do think that a lot of their energy will go towards arena. Um, especially because like, you know, to, again, to kind of touch on your question, right? Like addressing like the reserveless issue, right? Like that may be some point in the future, but I think there's quite a bit of ways to go for arena as a whole, uh, before we do kind of have to worry as it were, as if there was something to worry about. Yes. I, I very much agree with you. Just, just a little tidbit of information. When magic online first came out, the first set that was released was invasion. That was before modern even existed, so, uh, and that was in two thousand and one, I think, yes. when Magic Online first came out. Yes, uh, I played a lot of Magic Online with uh, like three dollars and some string, uh, because that's all I, I my parents wouldn't let me buy uh, digital booster packs. I wonder why, but you know, there's there's so much time and effort put into like what Magic Online is right now that even if they wanted to do it in Magic Arena, like. It's like at least a six-year-out project. Like, there's no way that they could finish in any time shorter than that. And at that point, why I don't know. If there's anything to worry about. So, Ed, what uh, what next question caught your eye? Uh, so, also kind of in the same vein, um, David Mo, uh, will the impact of the Wizards uh, will the impact of the Wizards announcement into putting more money into Pro Magic? help out with card prices staying more stable in the paper world or also help impact bigger, quicker spikes as people wanting these top decks to start playing as a result of big tournaments. Um, this is definitely an interesting one. I think it kind of depends on the shift of um, how people react, uh, right? Like if like, I like Twitter for this reason. I think you just kind of get kind of a very much like day-to-day -day perspective. There's a lot of pros who really, really, really like Arena. Um, like that's no surprise, right? Like it's, um, right? Like just like I haven't played Arena myself. I own a Mac. I haven't like gone through that, the efforts to 
get it, I might buy a second, like, Windows OS or a Chromebook or something to be able to do this. Um, and you can run it through Wine, but... Sure, sure. I, I, I could do all these things, yes. Uh, but, like, my time is just not there to do that. Regardless, right, like, like just watching people stream Arena, I've said this, like, in the, I've said this in the past, like, few casts. Like, I'm very impressed with Arena. It looks very good. It is a good... Uh, it's just a very, very good user-friendly tool. Like the interface looks nice. Um, it's it's well done for for lack of a better way to put it. Um, if we do see a lot of like um, of this money, depending on where it goes, right? Like if it goes into arena, right? These it becomes more visible. I do I do suspect that we might see kind of like a surge in like modern, depending on how it exists, right? Like I think it's a little ways away from that, right? Uh, because we just talked about it, right? Like modern might not um, exist on arena right away, right? But like obviously standard does, right? What, like if we start seeing, right? Like these like mini arena only tournaments, like what like what if we see like an arena magic fest or something come up next year, right? Like these things aren't outside the realm of possibility. I do think that, you know, if we do see a huge surge, kind of like a surge of players that enter the game, Right, it will be somewhat similar to um, kind of the growth that we saw in Magic from uh, starting with like RTR, kind of in like 2012, 2013, when when Wizards was basically reporting like, oh, we just have you know like a ridiculous amount of growth, like ex like exponential growth compared to last year, and then the following year, it's like, oh, we just saw exponential growth again. Right, there's just so many people getting in at that time. And I think Arena is. Like it wouldn't surprise me if there's kind of like another like Renaissance era coming um, with Arena. Like if it does attract a lot of players, right? Because obviously, like the dream for like most game stores is, you know, you have a customer comes in, hey, I watch some Arena on Twitch, right? Like you know, like the Mythic Champion, uh, Mythic Championship I saw on Twitch, right? Like it, like the advert I saw an advertisement for Arena. I played some Arena. This game looks super fun, right? And, and now they're starting to buy paper cards, right? Like that's that's the perfect transition. That's exactly what Wizards wants. And I think it's very possible, like Standard is probably going to see it first, right? It wouldn't surprise me if you start seeing kind of bigger Standard spikes as more and more people are trying to, you know, gain a Standard. And Standard is in a reasonable place right now where, um, one, it's like, I feel like it's pretty sweet. Like it it's... It feels like it's a little slanted too heavily towards aggro decks for my liking, but there's like a decent amount of diversity. And the decks, like to be honest, if you compare it to some of the past standard decks, not terribly expensive, right? Even if we do see like a 25% increase in prices, right? Like, again, like I know, like it might mean more to some people than to me, right? But that's like a $50 increase, right? Which is not unreasonable to be building a standard deck. Uh, compared to some standards of the past, um, so I, I again I do think like if we kind of see like this huge boom in Magic popularity again, you might start looking at like some bigger spikes like that happen as people like who are who are vested like the, or they want to start transitioning from like what they see online to paper that we might start seeing like prices kind of jump around more quickly. So so bring this all back to me. How do you feel? Like, what's what's your short version of the answer to this question? Uh, I do think that like the market will be quicker to react as it has been in the past, right? Like, so we, so it will be less stable. 
Yes, less stable, more spiky, as it were. I agree with you entirely. Um, I don't want to reiterate everything that you said, but I agree. When you when there are more players and and formats like Ravnica, where you just kind of can play whatever you want, and it changes a lot what the what the best deck of the week is, and people change often, that will cause a lot more price changes. Um, with people entering the market and and buying into newer new decks that may not maybe not have opened a lot of magic cards previously, will also cause this kind of effect to happen. So, if Arena is successful in bringing people onto paper, the paper market will be more volatile, not less volatile. Yes, yes, that is summing up why I said much more eloquently than how I said it. I mean, there was nothing wrong with what you said. I just wanted to summarize in case anyone lost track of what we were trying to say. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. I yeah. think... What? Do you have another question you'd like to read off? Uh, I think we can... Let's see. We'll do, do one want... more and then, we'll, and then do pick of the week. Uh, do, do you want to answer this uh, question for Jim? Uh, sure. I am, I am Jim, so I think I'd be very good, very well qualified to answer this question. All right. Uh, it is, let's see. Uh, how do you, how do you organize and keep track of your spec purchases? I've currently got 800 count box that I've got organized by set, but I'm thinking about reorganizing it into short terms, zero to three months, midterms, six to 12 months and long-term 12 plus months, and then subdivide by format. I find keeping track of everything the hardest despite checking sites like MTG stocks every day. Uh, personally, I do not buy very many things that I intend to keep a long time. Uh, most recently, I bought some cards from Ixalan and I bought some cards from um, Magic 2015. And I've been sitting on them and I'm just actually been kind of lazy. I need to just sell them. So I'll probably post them on Twitter later. But Basically, my my thought process is either I'm going to buy it with the intentions of selling it again quickly, or buying it and throwing it in a box and forgetting about it, and then eventually it'll be worth money and then I'll sell it. Um, I don't I don't really have like very strict timelines. Like, yeah, I'm going to get out of this in three months, six months, nine months, a year. Like, that's not how I operate when I when I buy cards specifically for speculation purposes. At this point, most of what I end up purchasing is just cards that I want to play with. And if I think it is a particularly good buy, I will buy extra copies to sell later. But the the impetus for me to buy purchase cards at this point is strictly for playing with them. So like I bought Rivian, Vivian Reads because I didn't want them to get more expensive when the standard started playing them more. Um, so you know I bought them at like five or six dollars. That my my main my main concern there was whether or not I was going to be able to play with them. At this point, they're an exorbitant amount of money compared to what I paid for them. I'm very happy to just get rid of them and then buy it again when it rotates or whatever. Um, I wasn't expecting it to go quite as high as it is. I think they're like twenty or thirty dollars now, which is a little bit too much that for for a standard card at this point. I don't really need find I need to keep them, but. I don't. I don't necessarily like go check every day to see how much it is. Like in my day-to-day -day life, in looking at Twitter, I see you know, oh, this deck won with uh, with these cards, and I, I very loosely keep up with the cards that I, the, the cards in the formats that I own. So like, I almost exclusively at this point just buy short-term standard 
things to sell. So I, you know, I watch streamers sometimes play magic. I watch, uh, you know, YouTube videos or whatever. And I just like have them on the background when I'm working. Um, I really don't have like a very strict way to, to, to sort, sort all my stuff. Like things that I know that I've purchased that I'm going to like keep for a very long time and then eventually sell. Like that's just in a box. It's just in a single box. It's alpha sorted, and then that's it. Like when I when it's ready, when it pops, I'll sell it, and I'll be gone. I'll be done with it. But there's not that many of those cards that I actually end up purchasing. I I don't recommend if you're not like if if you enjoy doing this, then I think your 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 method is probably the best. But if you just want to be lazy about it, like I mostly am, I wouldn't recommend purchasing a ton of cards with the intentions of selling them. I think as a whole, kind of like your strategy about keeping track of your spectators, I think like your organization is great. Um, like the worst thing you want to do is just like realize that, oh, this card spiked. I have no idea where the card is, um, which I've definitely had that issue before. Um, I don't think you need to quite be as diligent about keeping track of it. Right, mainly because, like, I imagine that you have a relatively small sub, like, your 800 account box. I like, you know, in your case, I don't know how many different cards you own, right? But, like, when I spec on cards, I usually own like a million of them, like, not literally a million, right? I own, I own a lot, but, like, my, my, for example, my, if I had an 800 account box, it would probably contain like eight different cards. I would have like 100 copies of eight different cards. Um, I think just, again, you just want to keep tabs, right? Just, like, know, you know, like, what is the scenario where this card gets expensive, um, right? In the case of, like, you know, using uh, Jim's example for Vivian Reed, like, it's very clear that it was never going to be a long-term spec. It's like, okay, we have, like, Golgari coming out in the, in Gales of Ravnica. If a black-green deck that is grindy is going to be successful, it's probably going to play Vivian Reed, right? Like, and, like, that's the scenario where it gets expensive, which it did get expensive, okay, now it's time to get out of it. Um, just kind of be cognizant of what your specs look like. Again, I don't know what your specs look like. It's different for every person. Um, so just be aware of what they look like at what price point you want to get out of them and just be ready. Like, you know, if it does go up, like you want to be one of the very first people to capitalize on the spike because you're, 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 you're going to be the one that's going to get the most. Um, so like, that's kind of what I do. Um, I do look at like MTG stocks on a fairly regular basis to kind of see what the market looks like. It's hard to like pinpoint like exact like website that has all the data that you need, mainly because each website presents them in a different way. Um, like depending on which API they scrape the data from, whatnot, right? There's a lot going on that makes it hard to like definitively know like okay what's gonna spike or even if it did spike right because mtg stocks it reports like some pretty sad spikes to be honest like an increase in five percent is not something to write home about that's just natural market fluctuations i mean increase of five percent could be a penny really like it depends on the price of the card right 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 you have like definitely like sub like ten dollar cards where five percent is like 50 cents right like that's that's like just day-to-day -day variation um so i think like what you're doing is great again just kind of like if your organization works for you, like that's ultimately what it comes down to is just like what makes sense and what works the best for you. All right. 
So now it's everyone's favorite time, pick of the week. And I know that I'm not putting you on the spot because you've already said you already uh, got one. So what is your pick of the week this week, Ed? Um, I think like just kind of looking at standard cards, this is the best time. Uh, a lot of people are looking to sell. A lot of people, like if you look on the Facebook groups, there's a lot of people trying to sell their decks. They're needing stuff for the holidays. Um, I think like Guilds of Ravnica is at relatively stable price point, but um, at, like right now we're a little bit more than one month away from Ravnica Legions coming out. That's like kind of what I'll be looking at, right? Like most like it's still a very very good spot to get in at the. Uh, Checklands that haven't gone up, right? Dragon Skull Summit, uh, Glacial Fortress, uh, Isolated Chapel, Hinterland Harbor. Crap, what's the last one? Uh, uh, Rootbound uh, Crag. Yeah, I was like, the Red Green, what is it called? Yes, right? Like, like these are also fairly cheap if you don't own a set, right? Like, we've been talking about this for a while, like, just go own your set, right? Like, look how expensive Steam Vents, look how expensive Flip Trop Retreat is now compared to how they were before guilds of radica came out i mean even if look look at sulfur falls and say like this is the worst case scenario that's like eight dollars do you want to spend eight dollars you just went 250 those are your options right and sulfur falls actually come down right it's kind of cooled off right like if you're trying to play standard right after the pro tour you're paying like 12 dollars for sulfur falls um i know i did it was miserable right so like you so those lands are kind of obvious what you also want to be looking at are cards that are somewhat restricted on mana mainly because the shock land doesn't exist for it yet um a lot of the man bases that do exist in standard right now are eight uh four of the shock land four of the check land so like teferi is kind of the example like teferi is already very expensive teferi continues to get more expensive surprisingly um and that's like you know that's we don't have held found yet what happens when we have held found what happens when we have more azorius cards what happens when there's like a solid blue white control that, that exists in standard um, I'm not saying that you have to like go and buy your four fairies, but there are many cards that are kind of in that same vein. Um, I want to say like I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head, but like it wouldn't surprise me if like I don't know, Sark and Fireblood or something was also good because of cards that could potentially come out like in like in like a Gruel card or like some um Rakdos card or something. Um, so I don't necessarily have like a specific one, mainly because I think like most of the cards I just named are like fairly reasonable specs. But I think like if you're looking to get in standard and you kind of like want to make a good short-term investment, like buying some of these cards is definitely not the worst idea. Okay, I think that's a that's a pretty good um, strategy here. Uh, I'm looking at some like more casually things uh, primarily. So I am interested in, um, oh my gosh, stop web page. Uh, Mirage Mirror. It's an artifact that's also a clone, but also clones weird things. It's a very unique card in what it can do. It can come to an artifact, an enchantment, or a land. Uh, this is the kind of card that like is not busted right now, but eventually there will be a combo that makes it busted. Um, so, for example, uh, you can use this with Dark Depths. You can copy your Dark Depths, and then it doesn't have any counters on it, so that becomes a uh, merit leash. Like Dark Depths just got reprinted, people might 
come on to this as like a, another you know dark depth style style combo that you can do um and it's really popular in casual circles uh people like uh clone effects a lot it's a colorless clone you know i know it, it looks a little weird because it's only until end of turn but i've seen a lot of people play it i've seen a lot of people enjoy it uh it's only two dollars right now and it's from hour of devastation which is a set that like not a ton of was open not a lot of cards in that set are very expensive uh this could be like one of the standout rares from the set so i think that if you have any interest in playing it i would not be you know i, I would not hesitate to pick up a couple of copies uh if you want to go deep on it this is the kind of card that you like throw in a box and forget about it for like a year or two and then you know when when people like start posting on twitter like an infographic with this new card in mirage mirror that's when you like break your box out and you sell it like that's how i would like keep track of my specs is like oh these people are really excited about this stuff that's it that's the thing that happened with like sahili rai and felidar guardian i didn't figure that combo out but i had a bunch of sahili rise because i just like drafted that set a bunch and i was like oh good i could just sell these now when people are like really hyped to get them so uh it has combo potential i think it's a card that more people will want to own over time so i think it's and it's a kind of card that like goes into people's collections and never leaves so my pick this week, Mirage Mirror. And just kind of to expand beyond that, not to extend this cast any more than we have to, but uh, if you look kind of at the past few sets, most of the cards that actually have gone expensive after they rotate are not like the hyper-competitive cards. Most of them are like these really goofy, kind of narrow rares that are super casual cards, right? Like if you look at like, you know, when you think about Aether Revolt, Right, most people don't think like you know. What do you think of when you say Aetherwell? You think of like Walking Ballista and Fatal Push, right? Like those are kind of like the big cards that like people uh, think of when they think of Aetherwell, right? But the like you know, most people aren't thinking about like Paradox Engine, which is actually the second most expensive card in Aetherwell. Most people don't think about Heroic Intervention, which most people probably don't even know what it does off the top of their head, but is like a very very good casual card that people love. Right, like mechanized production, like these are the types of cards that generally continue to climb up in value because they're so prevalent in EDH and casual play. Again, as opposed to you know, fatal pushes, most people already own their set of fatal pushes, and it's not they're not really selling them, but they're not really buying more. Whereas, like these casual cards generally tend to do well as people like you know heroic intervention. If you play a green deck, you probably have heroic intervention. Right, paradox engine. If you have some like you know, goofy mana base deck, or you do one of like the million broken things in EDH, you probably don't need to own a Paradox Engine. So, Mirage Mirror probably going to be like, is it? It's not going to be like a twenty dollars card, but it would surprise me if it was like five dollars in like a few months' time. All right, so um, that's going to be it for the cast this week. Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at phrost underscore. Uh, Ed, where can everyone find you? Uh, I am at Edwin13 on Twitter. Uh, I am almost done with events for the year. Uh, I will be at Grand Prix Vancouver, I guess, which is technically uh, next year. But for any of you guys playing Pokemon, I am actually in Anaheim this weekend for a regionals event. Um, oh, I thought but, you were going to tell me that you are playing like Pokemon Let's Go, and I was like, I need your friend code, and now I'm disappointed. Now, sorry. Uh, so I'll be at Anaheim this week, this weekend, and that'll actually be it for me for the rest of the year. 
and then we get to start next year. All right. Uh, just so everyone knows, um, because Jeremy's on vacation and uh, we'll be having some, we'll be a little bit busy. The next cast will not be till after Christmas. Uh, hopefully, we'll get something done before New Year's, but uh, don't expect anything next week. We, we're going to take a little break. Not a whole lot happens anyway, so you're not going to miss anything. And then we'll be back after Christmas with a great new cast with all of the same people. And uh, I hope you enjoyed this punless cast. Uh, it's brought to you, of course, by CoolStuffInc.com. So enjoy your holidays, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>